1: Welcome to Name 3 Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million. And this is a podcast where we discuss feminist issues in music and pop culture, all while empowering fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And now it's time to get an artist's perspective,
2: because Name 3 Songs wouldn't be here without the music. As you guys noticed from our intro message, this is an artist interview, and I know that your Sunday feed has been a whack fest of a mess. But since we are all friends here, I thought we would just like fill y'all in onto like what's going on, and it has nothing to do with name three songs. It just has to do with the fact that Jenna and I are human beings that apparently yes, on planet Earth, <laughs> on planet Earth, and planet Earth has decided to make me specifically suffer since I came back from England. My life has been in literal shambles in both good and bad ways, but things have been a literal mess, and it's. It's been a lot to deal with moving back to New York, and I've been having some family stuff that's not been going so great, which is so fun. And I only know how to cope with things through dark humor, yeah, and yelling about Harry Styles.
1: (laughs) Is this where you become a comedian?
2: Yeah, this is my only joke about death
1: and depression. Yeah, this
2: this is my uh, comedian origin story. Yeah, literally. Literally. Like, I don't know what I would do right now
1: if Harry Styles wasn't being a slut in Chicago for us.
2: Like, truly. This is the only...
1: Uh, it's, <laughs> this, guys, this is so funny because Harry Styles' to- love on tour right now is for Sarah what K-pop is for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't um... think I wouldn't even know who Sarah Tonin was. <laughs> I don't know her.
2: I don't know her. <laughs> yeah, things are a literal mess. In that regards, while all I really want to be able to do is focus on the podcast to not focus on like what's going on in my family and my life, that's not physically possible. (laughs) Um, So luckily, we do have a really great interview that we can give you guys that is really like answering a lot of questions I think we all have from previous podcast episodes that we've done. So I think that you guys will enjoy this as a Sunday episode. I think you'll learn a lot from this. And it's an exciting time.
1: So thank you guys for bearing with us in this kind of chaotic time in both of our lives. And as Sarah mentioned, this is not just like a great episode, but I think we hit on a lot of topics that we often cover on this podcast. So hopefully this is a good substitute (laughs) for our regular Educational Sunday episodes for you all yeah
2: and don't worry we will be back with our normal episodes I just don't know how to focus when grief is my main character trait lately and I feel like most of y'all can understand where we're coming from and as you know like we only want to give you guys the best possible content so we don't want to just like bullshit an episode just to have something up on your feed on Sunday because that's not fair to us or to y'all like yeah. Jenna and I like reading too much to give y'all nonsense <laughs> <laughs> that's what Patreon is for <laughs>
1: Um, But speaking of, speaking of, if you do want to hear some Patreon nonsense, we just did a bonus episode about media literacy and celebrity scandals, how these two get intertwined in the news, how they get intertwined on TikTok, how people misinterpret things, how allegedly very easily becomes not real facts because people don't read so sarah gives us a good journalism 101 and we get to talk about some juicy scandals including tom brady and giselle Buncheon and her (laughs) being a witch yeah if that's not enough to intrigue you (laughs) um you can go learn more at patreon.com slash name three songs
2: and with all that being said once again thank y'all for sticking with us if you want to be nosy about my life feel free I am available to to chat with and I need (laughs) distraction always. And with all that being said, now I shall give you the interview episode. We are back in your feeds with a very exciting artist interview, one that we have been looking forward to for quite some time with an artist we think y'all will be very excited about. It's been really fun uh, discovering new artists through this interview series because we're getting pitched artists that we might not have heard of before, but because our brand is so strong guys, <laughs> which I think we should all be proud of listeners and Jenna and myself alike. <laughs> um, we, we've all put in the work together, y'all. This is a group true. effort, so <laughs> massive group project. So, yeah, today's a really exciting one and a super, super good conversation that I think you guys are going to be obsessed with. So, Jenna, would you like to introduce everybody to today's lovely musical guest?
1: Today, we're talking to Bailey, who's an artist based in Brooklyn. Bailey has been in the music industry for a long time because she was originally in a band with her siblings and some of her friends at the age of 16 when they had a record deal. And since 2018, Bailey has been working as a solo artist and a songwriter in the music industry. Her music discusses topics that are traditionally off-limits, using her skills one of the most promising new songwriters in the industry to spotlight subjects that aren't discussed enough in music and mainstream media with the goal of transforming people's minds and starting difficult conversations so that we can all move past them. I mean... Doesn't this just sound perfect for us? <laughs> Bailey was also recently selected by Spotify to be their equal ambassador for challenging the status quo and creating more of a lane for women to thrive in. And Bailey has her next EP, Stories 2, coming out at the end of this month.
2: Yeah, so I'm so excited for Bailey's new EP to come out and everybody to hear her new music. But of course, she has a really great back catalog that we can listen to. So there's lots of research you guys can do after you fall in love with her during this interview and want to go become major fans of her music. And Bailey, honestly, is the ideal guest for Name Three Songs. Because as you guys know, we love to talk about the normal topics that we talk about on our podcast with our artist guests, along with talking about their own music and their personal journey within becoming a singer, songwriter, whatever they are doing in the music industry. And so the conversation today kind of goes through lots of The categories that we like to tick off when talking to artists to find out about like their experience in the music industry and like Jenna already said, like Bailey had been in a band growing up, and so she has the experience of working within the music industry at a young age, not really knowing how things work, and then getting to come back as a solo artist and knowing like when she can put her foot down, when she can say no, and things like that. And so uh, a big ongoing theme of today's conversation is our favorite topic in the boxes that the music industry likes to put female artists, especially queer female artists, especially even more on top of that black female artists. And so she shares with us kind of her experience of the industry looking at her and being like, okay, we understand that you like rock music, but like, you don't look like you like rock music. So what are we going to do with you? So it was a really, really great conversation. And I'm so excited for y'all to hear it.
1: And with all that being said, let's jump right into it. Hi, Bailey. Welcome to Name Three Songs. We're so excited to be chatting with you today.
3: What's up, guys?
1: It's nice to see you. So I have kind of a big question to kick all of this off with because, as some of our listeners know, our podcast very heavily discusses feminist topics when it comes to the music industry. So my big question for you to get things started is, what role do you feel like feminism has played in your life as a human being and in your art?
3: Oh, my gosh. We're starting off with the heavy hitters. I know. No, it's perfect. This is beautiful. I'm so happy to like be here talking about this with you guys. Fe- Feminism has always played a role, even before I knew what it was and what it meant by definition and then what it meant to me. I just grew up with like, I grew up in like a single mom household and I just grew up around a lot of strong women. There was this female empowerment around me constantly. And so when I, as I got older, when I saw it being questioned or when I actually got confronted with different ideas, like men run this shit. I immediately, like my instinct was like, no, this is, Mm -hmm. this doesn't make sense. So I used to be in a band called The Skins. And even back then, when I was like a young teenager, you know, we had songs that I always wanted to sing about empowerment. And even before I was publicly queer and all that stuff, I always wanted to sing about human rights and have a message in there, female empowerment, empowerment amongst all people. Uh, feminism has always been you know a foundation in all of that and just how I see myself so I don't know if that's a broad answer
1: no I love it I mean I think that's so special because it's something that you only realize when you're looking back you know as an adult once you've learned more in life but it's just so easy to be so influenced by society and pressures and expectations and like it's easy to not have that female empowerment in your life so it's really amazing that you had that from a young age
3: absolutely I feel super blessed to have had that it's also like New York City it's like Mm. don't fuck around like a woman like in the deli will come and like I don't even know like like end your life whether it's verbally (laughs) whether it's like like women are so strong here I'm not promoting anything like crazy aggressive or violent but like women (laughs) are just so strong here it was like never a question you know there was never the dynamic where female presenting people women have to be demure or meek That is not a New York woman, so it was just always around me, and even compared to my sisters and a lot of my friends, I'm like, I'm like, yoga, and like, peace, and like, very (laughs) kind of chill, and all my friends are like, the Powerpuff Girls, okay? (laughs) hot superheroes you know so
2: i feel like your point of like even just growing up in new york i feel like it's a whole different mindset of understanding of like the power you hold as like a woman and how you need to have power to survive in a city really and i think in a way that kind of sets you up to kind of question the patriarchy because you're just like since you're a child and on the city streets there's going to be men being fucking weird so you kind of have to like prepare yourself and understand like how to be a like scary woman to some degree and I think that that's kind of like a good basis for learning and understanding feminism
3: I mean you hit the nail on the head and this is kind of effed up and like weird but yeah you're encountered with like lots of i guess for lack of a better word like sexual harassment like you're you're walking down the street as like a 13 year old Mm -hmm. in your school uniform okay they're grown at their old ass men you know constantly hitting on you You, you're alone a lot of the time from age 10 we're like taking the subway to school or taking the bus to school a lot of times if you have siblings you'll travel in groups with your siblings your cousins or like if you're a girl or a boy you'll travel with your friend groups but you are encountered as a child, you have a lot of adult interaction, and a lot of that are men. It's men, it's guys, it's bros, yeah. like, trying to talk to you, try, you know, say, even just saying hi, and like it feels a little creepy. You do have to learn how to be a quote unquote scary woman or girl because you need to give off energy without even saying anything or even looking their yeah. way. You need to give off give off that yeah. energy of like, do not fuck with me. Like it will not end well for you. Yeah, yeah. that's a real thing. I hope it. I hope sometimes that comes through in my music as well, I uh, because I, maybe a lot of people don't get that. And mm-hmm. even myself, I'm not really even an assertive person. So sometimes I like to live into this more empowered and stronger and more assertive person in my music. So I, I don't know if that comes through, but I hope it does.
2: I love that. That's so incredible because I feel like there is something so amazing about art where you're able to kind of like show a part of your personality that might not like as easily come off and I think that that's been shown a lot by like a lot of artists coming up right now of just like how music has been such a cathartic way to like show your inner like strength and empowerment and all these things that aren't so easy to show just on the outside or like as an existing person.
3: Yeah, I, I think it just depends on you know your experience maybe how you were born some people are more just like <laughs> i don't i don't know the words but they're just out there they're more beefed up they're extroverted i tend to be a little bit more inward and so when you listen to certain songs of mine i think they come off at least to me more aggressive than i than i normally am and i or am in real life and i actually really like it it's still <laughs> all me i'm just I'm, I'm able through music to tap into that other side of myself yeah
1: No, I think that's really cool. And kind of speaking about like this duality of being both vulnerable and strong in songwriting, you have a song titled 16 about your mother and in an interview last year with Notion discussing the song, you said, I'm a believer that it's the artist's job to be vulnerable, to be there for the terrifying moments and share our own scary stories in hopes that someone else in this world feels that and resonates. Do you think that there's such a thing as too much vulnerability in songwriting?
3: i well it's a great question and thank you for reminding me of that quote my instinct says no there's there's no such thing as too much vulnerability i think it's it's up to the discretion of the artist how much do you want to share how much do you want the world to know about you but i think that hard truths and and things that are hard to hear time helps those things become more accessible and easier to hear and easier to understand so i think that the world is seemingly getting better I think there's an optimism that comes with being a human where it's like the future is definitely going to be better but I don't know I think be vulnerable now kind of put a stamp on what's happening and how you're feeling now I think that matters even if it's really really hard I think it's also cathartic and therapeutic to release that then
0: um Mm -hmm. because in
3: 20 years it's like maybe you don't really maybe you can't tap into exactly how you were feeling and what you were experiencing then so I just like putting it on the page there are some things where like there are some songs where maybe I'm not really uh speaking about something as specific as 16 which is about my mom who passed but even like a song I did I did a a feature with I love McConan called sick and I'm like oh my gosh like this is just like so deep and like me being in a little bit of a dark place and like I'm not singing about anything super specific to what I was going through, but just like hearing the aggression and like kind mm-hmm. of like the darkness of where I was at. I'm like, uh, it's a little cringy, but I'm still happy I let it out. And if ever it came up to listeners like, oh my God, that was too much. Like that was almost offensive or that was too provoking or that was too dark. I think I could hopefully give that context of it as to where it was at and just knowing yeah. that it's always coming from a real and truthful place and very vulnerable place for me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. as somebody who's an avid journaler but not a musician i think it's so important to like honor those feelings as they come up and put them into song and like even if you don't release the song then like you said having it to look back on i think it's so important to it, just the experience of being able to like catalog and work through those emotions as you go through life
3: absolutely mm-hmm. i'm well also sorry if i'm ranting please literally
1: no, keep stop going. me we love it the espresso is like
3: kicking in, but I'm but genuinely, I'm enjoying having this combo with you guys. And I like deep thinking and I don't get to do it as often as, as I like. So thank you guys. <laughs> I am a fan of fine art, of visual art. Like I, I didn't go to school for music. I went to school for art my whole life, like visual mm-hmm. art, even college. Wow. And what you just said me, you know, thinking about, is there a level of being too vulnerable? I think of like Goya or like an artist like that who it's very deep and like it was hard times and it's kind of like murderous and weird the art and maybe it's hard to see now, but also it gives perspective into what exactly was happening in that artist's yeah. life. like even Monet or Picasso. I mean, they have, they have a vast catalog of, of work, but there are some certain things where it's like, this is dark. This is deep. I don't really agree with this. I don't like this depiction mm-hmm. of a woman or something with Picasso, yeah. but at the same time, it, there's a realness there. And so I think the truth and the realness trumps how comfortable we are. And I really believe that it's the artist's job to kind of tell those stories because those stories would be erased otherwise. And if you're if you're seeing a painting of Picasso's and you're like, this is uncomfortable to me, maybe ask yourself, why is this uncomfortable? How is the subject
0: actually mm-hmm. affected
3: as opposed to the artist? Like all these different things that you start to ask yourself. Yeah. I don't know, I think the truth the truthfulness in the art and the vulnerability, it, it it's more important than making people comfortable all the time.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think like we've talked to other artists before as well about kind of like utilizing music as like a form of therapy and how sometimes writing music might feel more therapeutic than like actually speaking to a therapist or whatever the case is. And it's like you said, it's like people have different ways of being able to like put their feelings out there. And sometimes it can be scary and like feel like, oh, maybe this is like too much. But even just the possibility of like somebody being able to relate to it and like not feeling alone, I think is the most important thing. And like that's the whole point of music and like why people love music so much and why it resonates in a different way than like other forms of media is that you're putting words to like emotions that a lot of people don't have the skills or ability to do.
3: Absolutely. Yes, totally. And some people relate, if you've gone through a lot, if you've struggled a lot, if you've had traumatic, you know, experiences of any kind, some people then relate more to art that is a little bit darker. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean they're like a psychopathic, scary person. It just means, oh, this speaks to me. So even like a song like Nina Simone, like there's a song called Four Women that I really like. And it's, it's about the experience of like, of like four different types, uh, for lack of a better word, black women, Mm. you know, back in like the 40s, 50s. And it's like dark and like, it's sad. And that's one of my favorite songs, um, just because it's like, oh, someone sees me. I'm one of those women. And my sister's another. And it's dark and it's sad at the same time. It's again, it's like healing to just uh, know that someone else has had that experience, is having that experience. And you're not alone. I think it helps you heal whatever it is you might have gone through or you are going through
1: yeah i also like what you said a minute ago about art not always being comfortable because sometimes there are very uncomfortable things in life and we can't always gloss over them and art in itself music in itself is an expression of the human experience and it just kind of made me think it is important to express what we've experienced but also to have the other side of it like the critique and the conversation about it and like the thoughtfulness around it so that like even if there is something that might be a harmful depiction or like not in the best light. It's valid that somebody experienced that, but it's also valid to discuss and like how it makes us feel and and moving forward, how we perceive that and what we can do about it.
3: 100%, like seeing something really uncomfortable, seeing, you know, just the most horrendous things. Like, yeah, I think it's it's not, maybe it's not always the piece and the, the art itself or the depiction itself, but maybe the conversation that happens after. And that's why I'm very broad and I'm like, I love everything. I, I, I love to see everyone's expression, but I really do believe that just because you never know what you're going to get out of someone's depiction and out of their art. And yeah. I think it's all valid. It, it it helps us answer questions that I think as human, humans, we really still need to tackle and, and answer.
2: That's a really good point. And like, I think that it definitely is really important for people to like have a window into moments in history moments in the world that like they might not understand otherwise and like social media right now I think has really opened a gateway in order to do that and it's been interesting seeing like Also, the expectations for people who might not be educated or understanding to speak on these things. And I think especially like as a musician yourself and like as somebody who is like working their way up in the music industry and as a singer and songwriter, like it must be so weird to watch like as TikTok and these sorts of social media things are taking over and the expectations fans have for their artists to be like completely well versed in every political moment and yeah. movement that's happening and like what are your thoughts and feelings on like that kind of pressure being put on artists today
3: i i love that you're bringing this up because this is not enough of a conversation even now speaking to you guys i'm like oh my god like am i being politically correct enough like am i saying things even if yeah. it and i'm not a politically correct person i i would hope that my values are like okay and you know um i have a certain awareness and and, and try and speak to at least my community or for myself. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm like, I don't want to say anything offensive. I don't want to, and that's a part of your job, whether you're a public person, an artist, whether or whether you're just like a creator who's like, yeah, I like to, you know, do videos, uh, like pet videos or something. I think things are a little heightened right now around, you know, political ideas and things like that. And it, it is really stressful. But like, even having this conversation now, I'm like, oh my God, I hope I'm not like, coming off in this way (laughs) like I know I know what I mean and I know what I what I'm into and I know what I believe and I'm just trying to reflect that but things feel so heightened right now that it is difficult I guess I don't think about it every day um, but it it is a very real thing that's that's happening I think that a lot of artists and people it's messing with our minds and what's okay to say what's okay to like feel now yeah Um, and I think that to me that'll take that could really taint the work that, that, yeah. that we're doing. Imagine an author, you know, imagine in Shakespeare or like Mozart or something, they were just like so wrapped up in what their community wanted to hear from them, that they didn't create the things that they created. So I don't know. I, I think balance, having balance, like yeah. being accountable. If you're like, I did not know that, but also it's not my job to know that. But like now I know. And like, you know, yeah. I, you know, but I don't know. It's something I have to think about a little bit more, but it is definitely a challenge that's, yeah, th- yeah. that I see right now across how we interact on social. And- yeah.
1: yeah, I feel like as far as it goes with like thinking about like intersectional feminism, for example, like it's everything like w- we hate to say feminism and only mean like women's rights. Like that's not what it's about. Like it's about everything, the Absolutely. intersectionality of it, but it's overwhelming to think that you have to know everything about everything and like the biggest thing is like in life in this podcast in your art is like it's a journey of understanding and learning and educating yourself and wanting to be a better person and wanting to advocate for better things but it's okay that you don't know everything at like this very moment but it's also like fans and people and the, the internet in general needs to know and like show up with that sense of like acceptance to know that like not everyone is going to be where you are in your journey
3: 1,000%. It's like, how do we get there? Like, how do we get our audiences to get there? And maybe it's just like, you know, people like us speaking about it more and more, mm-hmm. speaking about that thing. Like, guys, exactly. you, need yeah. o- you need to be you open. Right now, things are so narrow. We got to open this up. Like, this yeah. is not how change happens. And there's a lot more progress to be made, like, in the world. So one thing that you made me think of, Jenna, was a long time ago, I was signed to a record label, my, ba- my mm-hmm. first band. And we went through media training. There was like a week of media training. Yeah. This yeah. is a long time ago now. But one thing that actually stuck stuck with me was when you're doing public speaking, when you're taking interviews and things like this, this was like around Trump era. Like he was running
4: mm-hmm. and,
3: you know, the person she was a woman, she was me and she was a woman of color too, which was cool, but for me. But, um, so she was media training us. And she, one thing that she said was like, how, how you cannot get caught up, how you can essentially, this is before cancel culture, how you cannot get canceled, how no one can be mad is if you speak from your experience, if you speak
0: from
3: yourself and speak about your experience and what you believe based on Mm -hmm. your knowledge and your feelings and all of that, no one can really take that away from you. Maybe we're in a different place now, but I try, I try and have that that mindset because I'm from one place in Brooklyn, New York, yeah, a queer community. It's a very niche thing, but maybe, maybe I'll say something that's really niche and niche to my community, but it might, it might speak to the masses or something one day. But I think it's important to just speak from your knowledge and your experience and yeah i think that's a good start that that's helped me a little bit because yeah. it's yeah. very overwhelming i'm a queer person i can't talk on i can't really speak on the experience of like a trans person yeah, having, yeah. Work it. you know having worked with trans people and having a, a ton of trans friends i i'm not going to speak on it i'll say yeah. how i feel and what i think with a little bit that i know but yeah i can't be like the number one advocate for that and that's out of respect for that community knowing that yeah. there are people that can speak on it so yeah i think yeah, it's across absolutely. the board for everything yeah
2: No, so that's an incredible point and so well said because like on our podcast like a lot of what we talk about is like how to critically enjoy liking pop culture and like liking music and liking these things where like you know your favorite artist is struggling or you know these things where you're like But you're not you're not living that experience that everybody else is going through. And so it's hard. And so we try and have artists like you on or guests that can come on and like help educate us. And like, that's the incredible thing about the community we've created is like we've been able to have people who want to put on that critical thinking hat understand that we're all learning together, all educating. Like, we're educating ourselves to educate them so that we can further educate outside of the podcast. And it's like, (laughs) so it's like a very big, like, staircase we're building, you know? It's not like we've built the door. We've built the staircase to the door. We haven't even reached the door yet. And so it's, like, so incredible to be able to, like, have these conversations about, like, what music can be, like, what artists are supposed to be doing, like, the fear that artists might have in regards to like what fans expect from them, because fans come from so many different backgrounds that like it's so hard to know like what every single one of them have gone through because there's not enough time in the world to like create the music, create everything artistic that you need to create and also educate yourself on everything your fans want you to know about.
3: I I love that. I mean, I love the analogy of the staircase and just this perspective on, we all grew up with pop culture. You, it shouldn't be like a guilty pleasure like we're almost conditioned <laughs> to, to yeah. love you know whatever T- TMZ is a little bit of a problem for me but like <laughs> like whatever like social media or the Kardashians or something it's like maybe there should be a love hate thing. I just agree that it's an it's an evolutionary thing I think coming into the world and coming into a conversation like this just recognizing like we all are learning like we're all learning you know, how to deal with life and also life in in that little nutshell that is, like, pop culture. So I I love that. I love the staircase analogy. I think it's beautiful. It's an ongoing (laughs) thing. When I run into issues with people or artists, it's, like, those artists that are so, like, this is what I know and this is it. This is how life is. And and to me, I just don't understand understand that. that. I don't. We have to
1: always be learning.
3: Always be learning and, and evolving and you know, how can you understand, you know, like you're saying, Sarah, like how can we tap in and understand
2: Mm -hmm. this is so
3: random, but like, you know, Shawn Mendes posted something about mental health and having to take a break on tour. We don't know what, what that cis white male is going through. (laughs) Right. But like, I, (laughs) I I have to learn how to, I empathize with him and I, and I'm so happy that, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, Oh my God, I feel this. I feel this vulnerability. I feel this post and like, I don't know that experience. I don't know what Sean Mantis is going through at his level of artistry and all of that. But if I was closed off, I wouldn't be open to yeah. wanting to know, you
2: yeah, know, and yeah. and
3: having and gaining more respect for him and what he does in his art and all that
2: stuff. Yeah. And I mean, like, the mental health conversation, especially with men, is, like, such a stigmatized thing. So even just, like, having the guts to announce like yeah my mental health's not well like it's that thing where yeah. like your automatic brain reaction is like you're a successful white man like what could you yeah. be going through but then also there's yeah. like oh right there's all the stigma there's all these things so i completely get that but also like it's so important for public figures i think to learn and educate in public and like talk about like oh I've, i'm have acknowledging that i'm struggling with my mental health like let's talk about this like let's put that out there because for so long i think people either are like you said not wanting to learn or are like learning in private and then all of a sudden come out and like know all this stuff and it's like no like show your fans (laughs) that you're educating yourself like you're doing you learning is so important like it's so important and so impactful and like could make other people who like your music and might be like very closed-minded be like oh like i don't know ariana grande's learning about what black women go through in public like i should learn about like what black women go through in public too like that absolutely. won't happen but it should.
3: <laughs> no, right, like absolutely. First of all, great example and just yes, like the thing is even I find myself as a person at the intersection of so many things. Yeah. I'm like I'm fucking I'm like as a gay person I'm like terrified. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to misgender this person. I'm going to say the wrong pronoun. I'm I'm yeah. scared." Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like I can't yeah. imagine it's just not cool. There's something that needs to be fundamentally like flipped around and maybe time will do that. And incredible people, humans with platforms like yourself and incredible artists and new perspective will help that, you know, make that change over time. But it definitely needs to, because this is not the environment. This is not an environment conducive to actually growing together. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people would would agree with
1: that. Like yeah, things are yeah. kind of
3: scarily narrow minded right now. So
1: yeah. Yeah. It is the double-edged sword. It's the, we want, we want accountability. We want diversity, but only if you do it right. Like that's, (laughs) and that's what I was saying (laughs) about showing up with some like grace and like knowing that like the best thing we can do is be working on it and not everyone's going to be. 100% there but speaking of like you being at like the intersections of very many things and like you also started playing music and were in your band The Skins like at a very early age and so kind of (laughs) we love to talk about how the industry loves to put people into boxes and like being a woman, being a woman of color, being queer, being young, like there's so many boxes that go into like stereotyping people and it's like oh well you can only be marketed this way or like you have to sing this type of music or you have to express yourself in this way, these expectations And so I'm curious if you feel like you've been in these scenarios within the music industry, if anyone that you've been working with has tried to put you into these boxes.
3: Oh my gosh. Literally, (laughs) I'm actively like a part of my artistry now. My solo work is actively like just rebelling against those boxes because like they're being there. People are trying to place me into them. I mean, Mm -hmm. even and this is with all due respect to everyone I work with, even with my own internal team where it's like, this is what's cute. This is like what a cute girl wears. This is what like, this is the song that we like because this is like relatable to us. This is what's attractive to people. This is what people will buy. Mm -hmm. So not trying to just be like a chaotic person, but like I'm actively (laughs) a part of my artistry now is actively just being like, no, no, like just know that we're I'm here to pioneer and like set the tone. I'm not here to do the same shit. I'm not here to be like Etta James again. I yeah. love Etta James, but like yeah. cha- that was 70 years ago. So it's like, <laughs> you know, that's a part of, that's definitely part of my current experience. And I'm with people that I think understand me more than ever before in, in my career. But yeah, in the skins, we were doing classic rock music. So that was a major part of even how we got attention. We are, it was me and my three siblings and two, two of our friends
0: mm-hmm. from
3: Brooklyn, New York. And we're like covering Led Zeppelin and like Deep Purple and, like, <laughs> Hendrix and Janice Joplin and we went viral on YouTube because, just 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 because of the fact that we're black and we're playing rock music
2: Incredible. like people you guys created rock music <laughs> like fuck off internet okay
3: so yes exactly and it's like I'm not even gonna get into that conversation but yes yes
2: so, it's okay we've, ha- <laughs> we've we've had it multiple times
3: but so that's why we went by and I'm like again like I feel so conflicted because I'm like I hate that you guys yeah. think that this is special, but also, I guess, like, yeah, let's let's <laughs> lean in and like market ourselves as, you know, yeah. let's go in. We're just doing what we love, right? Yeah. People are already starting to marginalize us, and then we got signed to a label. They were. I still love that a lot of that experience. We were signed mm-hmm. to Rick Rubin's label, American Records under Universal, and we developed with Rick. I will say, Rick Rubin, out of all the people in this experience was very open and he was very Mm. broad and there was never any, like, you need to sound like this. You need to try this. You need to sound like this. He was just like, keep developing until the songs get better. You don't need to uh, fit into a genre. My band though, uh, a lot of my band members, we were developing for like a few years. A lot of my Mm -hmm. band members started feeling the pressures of like, we want to be out on the road. We want to be on the radio. Yeah. 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 Okay. So when that started happening, We started moving a little bit away from Rick and his development and more toward Republic and Universal Records, which is like the parent company of Rick's label. Mm -hmm. And we were literally even had a call with Rick. We were like, we're just going to work directly with Republic in New York and like develop with their like, you know, producer, their pop and their hip hop producers. And so Mm -hmm. that was like peer pressure. Like my band started feeling as young people a lot of my band members started feeling the peer pressure i felt it a little bit i'm kind of a people pleaser so i was just like let's just do whatever however everyone's gonna be happy and we can yeah. stay together let's do that yeah but, so we started developing more in like uh the president of republic at that time oh i don't even want to mention him he's like been literally canceled since and me too he was like yeah you guys are black like I'm developing like the weekend and Ariana and blah, blah blah. Okay, so like you guys are gonna go and work with those producers. And you're gonna do like R and B, like hip hop oh stuff with like a touch of rock, and rock, like with a little bit of guitar. You know, and, like, and, like <laughs> even for me, I'm a vocalist. I was like just a singer, like a rock ass, like yeah. Janis Joplin was my girl. But like, I'm, like then physically like, in pain, like,
2: hearing you say this.
3: <laughs> I appreciate you guys feeling it, but so then they're like, okay, we'll try some rap, like. Try some rap stuff. Oh, like, this is no. me going from rock <laughs> and roll, right? I'm talking about, like, literally, like, Jimmy Page and, like, Janice Joplin and, like, I don't even know, like, Black Sabbath. And, like, now they're like, well, try some rap. Like, just try some songs with rap. Mm. And then, so it just slowly started going that way. And then it's confusing because we're really young. We're young teenagers. Yeah. My band members, some of the, the ones who really wanted to start feeling the pressure, they were a little older. They're like, I want to make money. I want to be on the radio. I want to go on tour with like popping bands and so yeah i'm always open i tried all that stuff but i i just saw how quickly and then i would go into meetings and they were like this is the next rihanna this is the next um, lauren hill yeah this is it's like every black artist ever right and it's like i do rock and roll i do yeah i like rock music that happened to just not be like chuck berry it happened to be like robert plant like british rock musicians (laughs) or caucasian but so the, the point is just, it's it was just a very funny transition. And then my band Dissolved, we tried, we did one EP with the, that more like pop, yeah, um, like pop, hip hop, R&B sound with a touch of rock. And mm-hmm. yeah, like we, we Dissolved after that, we just had uh, personal creative differences. And that experience to me, um, it was very interesting, but even into solo work, now I do a lot of songwriting. Just because I'm a black woman who presents as like a like a feminine woman, I'm a queer black woman. Yeah, you're like okay. You need to go and write ballads for like an R&B artist, and yeah. I'm just like I'm learning how to do R&B. Guys, no shade. Like yeah. I love R&B, yeah. but I'm yeah. learning how to do it. And oh it's my god! You guys see me th- in this one way. So yeah. I'm, anyway. Uh
1: everything there's, oh, there's so rush. much to unpack and just there's, like everything this entire thing yeah <laughs> i think sarah I, and i both have lots of thoughts i'm just like, please
3: please jump in
2: like the first thing is all i can think about is like fifi dobson and like everything she went through it's just so reminiscent of, like i just don't understand why uh, i will never understand why the record industry will see like a black girl who loves rock music when black women are like <laughs> the foundation of rock and be like no this isn't for you and it's like but they created it shut the fuck up um, <laughs> so, so yeah. I get very I get very agitated about that but also it's like the one thing that I did find really interesting that you were saying is the peer pressure aspect because we also talk a lot about like how it feels like the music industry has an age limit where like if you don't have success by a certain point yeah. you're never going to have success and so when you kept saying that like peer pressure thing like that's the thing that I kept coming back to you is that, and then you, you also acknowledging like they were a little bit older and like that peer pressure is so real because for so long, especially like when we were younger, like the max age you could be was like 23 to like be successful in music. And like yeah. now that doesn't exist as much anymore. We're seeing like more people in their late twenties become successful in like every genre of music. But oh, it's so frustrating to feel that pressure where like, you guys were good at what you did and then being like, oh, we need to like go with the bigger people who maybe don't understand our vision more because like if we're not successful in the next year, we're going to age out. We're going to be too old yeah. and crusty. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it makes me so sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
3: it's so true. I think the, ages, the age thing, the aging out thing is more evidence with women in the industry still. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think like, drake's ass is like god knows how old like <laughs> you know so, someone like Nicki minaj or something nikki actually like i think got really popular when she was like late 20s or like early 30s but like you know it's all about the biebers and the rihanna's who like were like 16 and like yeah. global
1: pop stars yeah mm-hmm, i don't literally. know really I don't know. But I, yes. I don't know. This is also making me think like the, the music industry. And honestly, just like if we talk about success on a large scale, like fame, essentially, it, yeah. if that's if that's the goal that everyone is trying to achieve, they want to be the Drake, they want to be the yes. Rihanna, you know, it becomes a scarcity mindset of yes. it's like, I have to do everything I possibly can to be accepted in order to reach that level. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but people like you just said people like just and rihanna are the exception like they had really insane vocals were found at a very young age that talent was cultivated into to be something very specific but that's yeah. not really how art generally works and mm. The commercialization of it tends to strip away what you're saying, the exploration and the like, what do I really want to be and what genres do I really want to pull in? And it's like, no, like or we could just like make a commercial record in hopes that, like it gets big. But in doing so, that's not a guarantee. And a lot of times, it feels like doing what is true to you, what is authentic to you, exploring the best things that you can personally do as an artist is going to connect more authentically with more people.
3: 1000%. I think I love that you... I just love everything about what you said, I think, too. Like, I don't know if you guys notice. I'm such like an old head. Like, I listen to old ass music. I started <laughs> listening. So... I like to listen, look at the history. Like, um, there are a lot of bands that, like, it took them, you know, it took them the, that 10,000 hours plus to this, have that peak success. Mm-hmm. It's not always fame. I mean, even, like, the Bee Gees. Like, the Bee Gees were, like, we're, like, old and, like, we retire, but, like, we got permission to do the soundtrack, which ended up being their biggest songs for Saturday, Saturday Night Fever. So it's just – it's one of those things where – even historically like going for that commercial thing in hopes that it you know you know sets you off into like fame or whatever you think success is it's not something that historically works Stevie Wonder did like seven albums and then like mm-hmm. the eighth one was like okay you have like a top ten and like then he just kept you know making them and now we just love Stevie Wonder as like an icon you know but mm-hmm. so I guess I guess what I'm saying is, It's what do you value as an artist? And when you're young, you might not know that you might not know that. And by the way, guys, in the industry, there are literally dozens of people telling you whispering your ear, there's lots of cooks in the kitchen. There's lots of people saying, Well, you should do this and like this person like doesn't know what they're talking about. Do that and you're like literally fifteen, you're sixteen, you're seventeen, you don't know what Yeah. And like your parents are like, Go do your thing. You just made like three hundred K like on a deal, like you're good. My parents were always very supportive, but it's still, like, that thing of, like, okay, we don't know anything about this. We are, like, normal essential worker as people, and now you guys are jumping into this space. Sorry, I'm all over the place, but I'm saying that what do you value as an artist? When you skip over the exploration of who you are, that creates, like, mental warfare. That creates internal confusion as a young Mm. person. And then when you – let's say you have that success even. There are some people that I know in the industry that have had that success, and they still feel that – They still feel conflict. They still don't feel proud of what they've done or what they're doing. Yeah. And they skipped over that exploration and they're confused and it triggers all types of mental health stuff. And it's just like, is it worth it when you, when it might just be a little bit longer of a ride, you might just need to do your 10,000 hours like the Beatles in Germany in a shitty little club for three years. But like you might then get to that point, like, like an artist like Moses Sumney or something. I don't know if you know Moses on me he has a song called me in 20 years from an album that's five years old now but it's just touched so many people it's still picking up and touching people and he's and just i think that song will stand the test of time but it's literally not like whatever like a top 10 song and anyway i i guess i'm just saying that you can have that i think you can manifest that and you can work towards that it's just they're just slightly different paths i think you can have that success though
1: yeah it's so crazy to hear what you're saying right now because we talk about how scary and awful the industry is if you're a young person in the industry and you don't have family smarts you didn't grow up in a family that knows the industry it's so easy to get taken advantage of and we talk about this a lot but the other thing that like the piece that i like we've never really discussed is this dissonance of like being so young in the industry it's so easy to be molded Molded, and this is what they want, right? Like they want people <laughs> who can be molded. That's why um, you have to be
3: young. It's not only a physical thing; it's like a mind thing. You yeah. have to be able to mold your mind no, into literally. what's marketable yeah. with no question, with little <laughs> to no questions asked. You know? Yes.
1: Yeah. Completely agree. But what you're saying, the part that I didn't realize is what you're saying is like when these artists grow up, then they feel like there's something missing because they've been told what to do their whole lives and they've been told what music they're going to put out their whole lives. And of course, not to say that they haven't contributed to the songwriting and the lyrics, but it's just like not 100% knowing who you are and what you really want because you've been in an industry and around people who are constantly trying to shape you for you.
3: It's confusing. And again, you can have that peak success. I mean, you can just have it and just be, you know, feel so like no one respects me and like this isn't real and like I want to go and try and do something like this. And then you'll be surprised like in music when you're an artist, you're a human product. I'm at such like, you know, an underground level of this shit. And like, I'm just like, okay, I want to put this song out. I want to put this song out that's really alt and like different. And my team's like, no, like, no one, like, that's not going to get playlisted. I can't imagine what the fuck Doja Doja Cat or someone (laughs) is going through, you know, the Lana Del Rey's of the world where it's just like, they just like want to put out something that speaks to them and will most likely speak to their audience. And you have 15 people being like, having a board meeting about like, why that can't happen or maybe why it can happen, but five years from now. And again, the artists who are creating the success and who are, you know, with their art, and yeah, making everyone money. All these yeah. people who are it's, consulting it's like, on it's... what they want to do. It's it's <laughs> really a weird backwards system. It's a really weird yeah. thing.
2: Yeah, and it's it's <laughs> interesting because it's like, well, I mean, obviously, music can exist without the music industry as like a business, but also at the same time, it's like there has to be money involved. There's all these things that need to be involved, and like the music industry isn't always nefarious. It just can happen. And so that's why we have all of these like scary stories. But then also it's like you could have a team that's like, we want to work with you. We want to do this. And so it's like that interesting thing of like once you know what you're doing and once you understand how the music industry works, there's so many good people who want to like cultivate you and help you and get your music in the right ears and get you talking to the right people and all that sort of stuff. And it's so frustrating that so many horror stories have happened that the good guys in the industry and, like, the good teams and, like, the good possibilities that can come from working with, like, a smaller team or independent labels or whatever get so ignored and pushed into the shadows because of, like, the shadowy figures who, like, do the shitty things where they're like, oh, you're Black? Sing R&B. Or, like, oh, you're this?
3: Sing that. And it's like,
2: okay, shut up. Like, there's the person in the office next door isn't going to say this. Why am I stuck with you?
3: Exactly. And those people that are like the good people that actually are like artists first that are music first and things like this universal would never hire them they would never partner with them and i don't want to say never but it's way harder it's way harder to partner with someone who you're like this is just not going to market i just don't see how we're going to make the money back yeah so i don't know it's all very possible i think with artists like a lot of us it's it's a vulnerable thing to make music and to share that music and to be showing it to your team and being like, this is how I want to roll it out. And then let's say it doesn't work with that team or that label. It feels so, you feel like at least I'm a sensitive person. It's like crushing to be like, okay, it, you're, you don't come into the industry with just this idea. Of you're a businesswoman. You have to learn right. how to be that. So yeah. it feels crushing to be like, okay, I'm going to take my project and go find a new team and pitch it to someone else. Cause you just started off as like a person playing guitar, like yeah. in your bedroom. Mm-hmm. So you, if you if you're strong enough and if you're if you have a clear enough vision, you become someone who can jump around. And when one team is not working, when one label's not working, you're like, okay, I have confidence in this, in what I want to do. I can take it here to these people who might get it. Yeah. But it's harder than you think, and that's why a lot of people are like poor mental health in the industry. A lot of people have addiction issues and things like this because you just are you're doing something so vulnerable, and then it's like rejected. It's like it's like misconstrued it's shelved it's and then you you give up you almost give up on yourself which is really really sad so
1: the um the realization i had while you're talking is that it's (laughs) this is both obvious and not but it's never been more apparent that the music industry and society as a reflection of society as a whole literally exists to capitalize on Class structure, race structure, gender structure—like <laughs> it all trickles down. Like you think the music industry is separate? It's not. It's part of the bigger system.
3: It's so—I swear to God—like you can't just be like a cute, like young black girl, like doing country bluegrass because people are like, "How is that relatable? Like, how do we market it? Oh, <sighs> yeah, we, exactly. we can only—we can only market to what people are ideas that people already have. Yeah, and in our country. The ideas that we have a lot of the ideas that we have are like terrible and like (laughs) need to be changed so you're (laughs) so right Jenna. Like you know it's almost again i work a lot in like underground music spaces and i do a lot of songwriting and i try and insert my rebellion and my little influence and what i think in those pockets in the in the pc music hyper pop space i really like that space because there's still a lot of issues there Mm -hmm.
0: with
3: you know femme ideas around feminism and, and race issues and who's allowed to do pop music and stuff. But I like that space because it's a bit more malleable. It's newer. It's an, it's a space for people with new ideas who want to uh, create progressive music. But But yeah, it's like I'm constantly, constantly pushing against, you know, those ideas. And it's like, people don't like that. Like, that's not what is making people money this year, even if it does in 10 years. But you're so right. You're so right
1: underground spaces have always been the place for artists to thrive and to explore these things and sometimes have extremely niche followings that like never make it to the mainstream. And that's okay because there's like an entire movement who's like on the same wavelength. But speaking of new music, you do have an EP coming out at the end of October. And We've all lived through this very crazy two-plus years of, like, a pandemic and all the things that have come along with it. And you also being in New York, I'm sure it was, like, very weird, like, watching that all unfold. And so I guess I'm curious about, like, your writing process, like, over the past two years. And do you feel like the pandemic has given you time to reflect on things that, like, you otherwise wouldn't have?
3: Yes, it, during the pandemic, a lot of transformation happened for me. I, you know, I had some downtime. That was a, that was the first time I, and I think so many people, had downtime. I've been yeah. working for, like, going on 10 years since I was young. Like, 16 is my first deal ever. Yeah. So I was like, oh, like, I can just, I, you know, I spent a lot of time with my partner and my family. And we would just, like, go. My partner is from a more suburban place, we would like go away to the suburbs, to like more, you know, rural nature filled places. And I was like, this is nice. I love working and not having that deadline constantly. So that was great. I mean, another big transformation is that I lost my mom in the middle of 2020 wow. or toward the end. You know, it's something It's something that I have, you know, my, my siblings and I have just had to radically accept and like, yeah. we're always yeah. working through it, but like my mom left us with so much figuratively and metaphorically so much knowledge and, and just how to be good people and how to you know stand our ground and make sure that, you know, we're living the lives that I think we, we want to live. So, but, but that was a huge thing having to continue, not having to, but just being around people and a team that are encouraging me to work while I'm in that breathing process, which there's silver lining there, but there's also still things where I'm like, that was weird and conflicting, yeah. you know, yeah. that I still think about. It was just, I feel like I've grown a lot and I just have gratitude for that time. It's slowing down time. And I'm definitely a very different person post pandemic as I think a lot of people are. It's changed how I approach art and all of that and how I, you know, my writing process and who I work with and all of that. But more than the creative, it's changed. I'm usually quite passive and, and open and it's just helped me be, understand my values. What really is important. And not letting people kind of sway or place their weirdness onto me. I'm very solid in like what I know, what I'm into, what I value now because of all that.
1: Yeah. 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 I I mean, that's so important. And I mean, like we're talking about this entire conversation is like knowing your values, knowing what those boundaries are and being able to show up and bring that into your future work.
3: Absolutely. So I hope the work comes off. It's more powerful and more even more truthful.
1: I mean, you've spoken in
2: other interviews just, like, about how impactful your mom had been to, like, your life, and so that must be, like, so much on top of everything else, and then, like, writing new music off of that, and how you've written songs in the past on, like kind of lessons she's taught you and like her life and all of that. Do you think that like on this EP, like not only the pandemic and everything happening affecting you and also the fact that you were like traveling and recording in like other studios, where were you finding most of your inspiration with like all of these things kind of hitting you? Like what do you think you took the most from what was going on over the past two years into like your writing process?
3: Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I think I'm still understanding a lot of a lot of that like what has changed I'm still a little bit in the middle of the trans transformation but what I do know is that I am different and like you know I am applying pieces of myself that maybe I, I haven't before and like I feel a little stronger and a more a little bit more grounded and just like if I like something then that's what we're gonna do if I don't like it even if five people are telling me that they like it then we're not doing it and not feeling bad, (laughs) not feeling bad or feeling like I'm like this a-hole. But so working in, in different places was a big thing. There's a song called Pressure on this project where essentially I'm calling for me, it's my partner. I think it could, it could translate as anyone's loved one. And you know, when you're touring, when you're on the road, I was traveling a lot into back and forth to LA to work with people for my own music and for other people's music as well. And so just like being alone in like a hotel room or like an Airbnb and just, you know, having a little bit of time to reflect or, you know, to me, pressure is really that, that one moment where I get the quiet time where I'm not working to reflect and I happen to be alone and I realize this is a bit lonely, even though I'm constantly working and I'm constantly surrounded by people. So that, that was one where I, I don't know, when people listen to that, maybe they, that kind of sums up this, this project for me, that song. So I don't know. That one was interesting. I I wrote that one, I think, in L.A. And then, yeah, there are some, some, like, shiny, happier moments on this one, too. Like, I have a song called Act Up that's coming. It's my next single that's coming. That's really about, like, the dichotomy of being in a relationship. And, like, I like that my partner is very feisty and crazy and, like, a strong woman. But also, like, this is a... Like, can you calm down? Like, you know? So I don't know. I think this EP... This EP doesn't feel... Surprisingly it's not as heavy to me or or introspective as um, EP1 was. I think it just is again a little time capsule of like what I was going through in yeah. that in a shorter time period over like the last year. Um, and a lot of it is just traveling around so you hear a lot of different vibes. So you hear upbeat vibes, you hear think of drugs, which is kind of a retrospective piece about growing up in a, in a household with addiction and I don't know, I think stories 2 yes is about journeying and so yeah. I think there's a few different stories it's not so confined uh to my to my city where I grew up like stories in New York it's, it's kind of like a few different perspectives on my life
1: wonderful we're excited to hear we're excited I'm sure everyone listening is so excited for it and cannot not wait <laughs> uh, well, it's, it, it awesome. sounds like Thank it's gonna
2: be good. a beautiful journey of an EP which I think is like what's so nice about music in general and like being able being given like the time and opportunity to like create when like the world shut down in a lot of ways it's like people have been allowed to like tap into things and time and space that they wouldn't have had any other way where it's like okay everything was shitty and horrible especially in new york that first year (laughs) but it also gave a lot of opportunity (laughs) to people to like tap into like emotions and things that they never would have even thought of being able to tap into before so it's like so exciting in a weird way to get to hear the music that was created during that time because of the opportunities it allotted to a lot of people
3: absolutely i hope that i hope that that all comes through and yeah i hope it's a little sonic a sonic journey my first ep was a sonic landscape this is more this is definitely more moving, a little bit more of a journey.
2: So, like, in talking about the journey of creating music and, like, thinking about, like, what to share and, like, what to say and all that stuff and, like, Asking yourself, like, what do I have to say? Like, what do I have to share? Like, what do I have that I think is going to be, like, vulnerable and good that, like, people are going to relate to while being, like, an outspoken person and all of that? And then also with that, like, our conversation about the boxes that the world puts people into, especially, like, the media likes to put Black people into of being, like... We expect you to do X, Y, and Z. Like, we expect you to, like, shut up and, like, dribble your basketballs and show up and show how we want you to because, yes. it's like, the dumb white women on the news, like, saying these things. And there's, like, the fun slogan of, like, shut up and sing or, like I said, shut up and dribble and, like, how this has been used throughout time to, like, kind of diminish the the education and, like, the know-how of people who do things that, like, feel like, oh, you're doing art for a living. How silly. And so the like the rhetoric of it misses the point of like what music and art has been as like a form of expression and like being part of like the human experience and like it's not yeah. so inherently political it's it's more than that. And yeah, I don't know where the question is going with this but like do you have thoughts on like that mindset?
3: <laughs> no, I love the yes, I think art historically has been kind of written off as you know, just something that is for fun it's just something that anyone can do. And while I do believe anyone can do it, I think it's, it's been historically really impactful. I think some of the most impactful things in history have been, um, through art and creativity and, and imagination. And I think even like art and science, um, coincide in a lot of ways. And I think the shut up and sing thing, it's like, well, first let me, fi- let me finish that last thought. Art has had such impact in my life and in my intellect and in what I'm into and how I treat people and the relationships I have. And I just, I think that that won't go away. I think that art is very impactful. I just don't think that it's this thing that is a silly little thing. That's what I believe. And I think it's interesting that society, because it's something that has historically been so powerful and impactful, I think it's interesting that, you know, society continues to try to write it off. Or like defund art yeah. classes or whatever in yeah. school. I just don't agree with that. I think time will t- will show, continue to show how impactful it is for a lot of people. The other thing I want to say is like the shut up and sing thing. It's like cool. Like I can't change people's minds around that type of like, um, I will never write anything anyone does off. Like if you're a gardener, like amazing, like sick, you're a fucking expert at gardening. Like that's amazing if you are a teacher, if you are, if you do podcasts and you're spreading knowledge and education, you're spreading wisdom. That's incredible. There's, I think it's very telling of people who have that mindset, why they have such a limited mindset around something that is honestly so incredible, right? Like there are singers who are having more impact in politics than whoever those people might value. Right. So I, I guess with the shut up and sing thing, it's like, I don't really care what other people think of it, but when I do speak and when I do write music, when I do sing, um, I, I think it's so important to always have a message in there. And I think it's so important to just always live in that intention. I think art and music is so important. It has a real effect on people's lives. So I'm going to shut up and sing, but I'm going to sing about what I think is important to sing about yeah. and, uh, and touch on things that I think we need to be talking about. Yeah. And so whether that's, Queerness, whether that's the margin- marginalization of certain people, whether that is ongoing issues in society, like uh, addiction or mental health, or whether it's bringing new, new things to light, like queer relationships and um, things like that. I, I, I feel so honored that I get to, that I'm an artist who, yeah, will shut up and sing, but it's about something that really, I hope will have impact and lasting impact
1: over yeah. the years. Absolutely. subjects that
3: people need to hear about.
1: So, yeah. I think that's a lovely note to end this on. I mean, just going off that for a minute, like the people who who are the belief of shut up and sing are probably not the people who are going to be end up convinced of anything because they're so set in their ways. <laughs> yeah. But it just goes back to our idea of building this staircase of people who believe the same things and want to learn and want to be educated and want to make the world a better place and i think that's all we can do is do our best with our art and everything so i think mm-hmm. that's a lovely note to end on we're very excited for stories your e- stories to the ep which is going to be released at the end of october we're looking forward to we're gonna have the links to all of your profiles and ep and everything in the description below so i want to give a big thank you bailey for joining us today
3: thank you thank you girls you guys are really truly It's been an amazing and insightful conversation. I hope we can do it again soon.
1: I know. I feel like we could talk for nine more hours. (laughs) You guys, since we've been doing these artist interviews, we've had such amazing, thoughtful discussions. And I know it's cheesy to be like, oh my God, this is our favorite chat, but it just goes to show how like needed these discussions are because it is so truly amazing to be able to connect with people who have thoughts and feelings and want to discuss them with us. (laughs) (laughs) Literally
2: though, like it's so exciting to like, get to be the people who open the door to the conversation for people for like artists who have been wanting to have these conversations and share their truth with their audience and new audiences because like we always say like these conversations are so important and so impactful to have and it's just been like a blessing that we've been able to have artists come on that want to be open and have these conversations with us.
1: Absolutely agree. And I feel like every time we learn more about the industry (laughs) and you guys learn more about the industry too, which is cool. Yeah. It's so fun.
2: Cause like I said, while we were talking to her, like the whole point is like educating ourselves so we can educate our listeners and then go on to continue to like grow our education. And so being able to like do that with people who are living the artist life, is really cool and really insightful and just like a different form of education than like we've ever really gotten yeah. to have so yeah, absolutely yeah and I'm just like excited to see where Bailey takes her music and like where her career goes from here because I feel like she's lived so many lives as like a, a smaller artist and so it'll just be really cool to like watch her career get to flourish from
1: here absolutely
2: So we hope you guys enjoyed this interview. Obviously, we had a freaking blast doing it and that you've been enjoying our interview series because these are so fun and insightful for us. So we hope that you guys feel like they're fun and insightful for y'all too and as always we love to get your feedback so if you want to chat with us about these artist interviews or artists you'd like to see on the podcast going forward you can hit us up on social media we are at name three songs on all platforms if you have anything you'd like to discuss with us personally i'm at sarah underscore Fagan and jenna is at jenna million So thanks for joining us on this special episode of Name Three Songs. Until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band.
1: And remember, you're never too cool to listen to Bailey.
2: Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. They really
1: help. And if you want to find out more about Bailey and listen to her music, you can check out all of that
4: at NameThreeSongs.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?